righty. So welcome to the first integrated podcast and with our first guest, David Miller. Uh, Dave and I have known each other for a few years now. We actually met working for the first community paramedicine program that we both worked for. Um, kind of one of the flagship programs in the country and, you know, got lucky enough to work for Dan Swayze and, you know, help him translate all the stuff he'd been talking about and thinking about for what a decade at that point before connect got started. And, uh, we were there and, you know, David's gone on to a bunch of other things. He left connect, went on and flew for a couple of premier aeromedical programs in the country and then decided to take a long walk and through hike the AT and after he finished up the AT, I think he was looking for something to do and a new challenge and got the opportunity to head um, a little more than halfway across the country to go work for one of the other premier community paramedicine programs in the U.S. So makes him kind of one of the unique people out there who's not only worked for two CP programs and had the opportunity to uh, be trained in two different approaches or philosophies towards the same end, but he's worked for two premier programs in very different regions, uh, giving a perspective that I think a lot of people are interested in. So, hey Dave, what's going on, man? Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so we're, we're getting stuff started. This is the first podcast, the first episode, and I figured you and I have been talking about a lot of this stuff for, for years now and ranting. We might as yeah. well record it. Might as well get into it. Yeah, for sure. Definitely been back and forth with this quite a bit. So Cool. All right, so what in the world is community paramedic? I'm going to put you on the spot there. Oh, man. Throw me right out there. Okay. Um, I mean, I think it depends on who you ask. Overall, though, I think the general idea of it is expanding the role of a paramedic to provide healthcare or services where access to those services uh, are difficult to obtain or may not exist for patient populations. Um, you know, I think it's, it's taking paramedics who are already in these communities. They see the barriers to care. They know what patients are experiencing, but oftentimes have their hands tied. They're not able to really do anything other than just like, oh, okay, let's go to the hospital, knowing that's going to be repeating this vicious cycle. Um, it's putting paramedics and empowering them into a position to actually go and do something about these barriers um, and to help get people access to the care that they, that they need. So it's absolutely about identifying those barriers. And I think that's really hitting the nail on the head is when you show up on an emergency call in an ambulance and you get there and you hear that patient's story, the story starts a long time before they picked up the phone and dialed 911. And I think- uh, Absolutely. Yeah, the we, story, I mean, this, we can all pick those stories where they just go, you can identify the point of where this could have, or even multiple points of where the current emergency could have been stopped or mitigated prior to it becoming an emergency. Absolutely. It's all about those barriers to self-management and figuring out where daily life broke down and led us towards that emergency. Um, you know, I think I can add to that a community paramedic. I mean, the, a big part of that is the community. Um, you know, a lot of the community paramedic programs, they're organic um, and they exist solely for the identified needs of a particular community. So everyone's going to be a little bit different, but all with the same goals or the same ideas and concepts of how to, uh, you know, enhance this care for the, for the, for the patients that they serve. Yeah, most definitely. And if we are, you know, really starting there, you know, 
program you're working for now, Organic, came from the community, but where are you now and how did you get there? Uh, so now I'm out in beautiful Colorado. Uh, I mean, how did, sorry, how did I personally get there? Or how do you, like, how did we as a program get there? No, how did you get there? You know, what, what was your journey, your path? I mean, we talked a little bit about, you know, where you've worked yeah. before, but how did you, how did you get from A to B? And Yeah. Um, I mean, so I started, so I started uh, as a paramedic in my hometown in, uh, outside of Rochester, New York. Um, you know, working as a new paramedic, I always had this kind of thought of like, why do we do things the way we're doing them and have always kind of challenged the status quo in EMS. Um, I've always wondered like, is there more that we can do that just isn't taking somebody to the hospital? Um, like there's gotta be a better way to do this. Um, so I've always kind of sought out systems that have allowed paramedics to kind of expand their role um, and provide that type of care for the pe- for the population that they serve. Um, you know, I've always been a big proponent and have always personally thought that EMS is geared much more as healthcare than it is public safety. Um, and, you know, I think that's evident just by what we do. Um, we provide healthcare and, you know, in our current state of healthcare, there are a lot of people that fall through some significant gaps in care and have significant barriers to care. That, that we're able to, uh, I think, identify and, and help mitigate. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of been my guiding focus in my career so far. Um, you know, so I've kind of moved through some different subspecialties of EMS, including community paramedicine, um, briefly flew for about five years as a flight paramedic. Um, and, you know, just getting different exposure to the way different systems operate and seeing really what paramedics can do is, you know, I think truly eye-opening, especially when given a, a, a good system to operate within. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned earlier, I did take a brief hiatus from uh, EMS. I went and walked 2,200 miles on the Appalachian Trail because something I wanted to do. Um, you know, and then after that, got back into my current role here uh, full-time as a community paramedic out in Colorado, um, working for, again, like you said, one of the uh, first uh, or one of the premier community paramedic organizations within the country. Um, you know, they've been running this program for more than a decade now um, and very successfully. So it, it just seemed like a natural step for me to get here to where I'm at now. Um, so yeah, that's it. No, and definitely working for some great people out there. And, you know, speaking of, you know, how did you get there? And, you know, you refer to the age old debate, are we healthcare or are we public safety? And, you know, I think as the profession advances, as it matures, and really, we're really only, you know, four or five decades into this at this point, um, we're seeing that the role can and should become much more patient and clinically focused than just public safety system um, aligned, you know, I'm not saying that we don't work very much within the public safety system, you know, at least in the emergency response component, but paramedics are more than just emergency response. Absolutely. And I think that is no more apparent than right now today, as we look at what's going on in the world and you folks are right smack in the middle of it with the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, we are. 
So what are you guys um, yeah. doing? What are your community paramedics doing related to this COVID crisis? And how is what the community paramedics do, are doing different from what the rest of the emergency response community in your neighborhood up to? So um, it's still pretty dynamic, but the, or for, for what the community paramedics are doing, but the overview is, um, you know, we have really stepped up to provide a role uh, for patients that is, is incredibly important. I mean, we are, we are keeping people out of the hospital. Um, we are, as a community paramedic right now, um, one of our primary roles amongst the COVID is doing both uh, testing screenings um, if needed for folks that can't get to one of the testing centers. So patients that have other factors that limit them to be able to get to the testing center, we're going out and doing those tests. Um, and then we're also doing a significant amount of follow-up care. So patients that uh, you know, may call their primary care doctor, their primary care doctor has concerns about their symptoms, but doesn't want them coming into the office for obvious reasons. It doesn't feel that they are you know, ill enough to be transported to the hospital. Uh, we're getting referrals to go out and see them um, just get somebody to set some eyes on them, uh, you know, get an assessment. And then we report that back to the physician and it's either followed up with, you know, we're going to go out and see them again, or, Hey, you know, we feel that they're between us and the patient. Everyone feels that they're progressing well enough that they are manageable at home without any further intervention from us, but also with the understanding that we can always go back out there and see them if needed. Um, and then also from a, from a 911 system approach, we are also utilizing a uh, telehealth uh, app called Hippo Health, uh, which allows us to initiate a telemedicine visit with patients who call 911 with potential COVID or known COVID complaints. Um, and it allows us to visit them remotely if at any point we feel that somebody needs to go out there and see them, we will send an ambulance to go see and you know provide intervention and transport them if necessary. Um, but this is crucial because it allows the 911 crews uh, the ability to, to avoid a potential exposure, um, reduces the amount of PPE we're using, and then it also provides for a lot of these patients just some reassurance that what they're doing is appropriate, um, you know, that they are going to feel sick but that they also have a healthcare safety net to fall back on. Um, so a lot of these telemedicine visits that are initiated through a 911 call also then receive a community paramedic follow-up, um, you know, the next day with that patient uh, just to make sure they're doing okay, address any concerns that they may have, um, just continue to monitor them. So, you know, it's, we are, we are incredibly involved with this. Um, it's, it's helping our hospital significantly. You know, we are in a rural area that has a single hospital, um, a single 56 bed hospital. So for them to become overwhelmed would not take much. Um, we're still dealing with, you know, the normal 911 calls that come in with people with, you know, having other medical complaints or traumatic injuries from various events that still have to be dealt with. So you still have a normal 911 volume on top of this. Um, so it really allows the, it gives a lot of flexibility in how our system operates. Um, and, and starting also soon, we're going to be sending community paramedics to all low, low priority 911 calls instead of an ambulance. So 
uh, it's not even COVID related. So if somebody calls 911 with a low priority complaint, um, they're going to be getting a community paramedic response instead of an ambulance. Um, again, with the goal of trying to offload some of the volume on the 911 side, um, because our 911 crews are also, again, like I said, we're in a rural area, our 911 crews are also dealing with uh, a lot of transfers out to the, you know, the major medical centers for, for folks. Sure. So definitely a different environment than you came from here where, you know, we've got two of the largest health systems in the country and more tertiary facilities within, you know, an hour drive time than anybody can shake a stick at. So. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think, I mean, that's definitely the highlight there is we, uh, you know, the community paramedic program here is really allowing us to maximize the resources that we have available to us and making sure that people are triaged appropriately to them. Uh, we don't really have the opportunity to, uh, you know, take the approach of like, let's just hope for the best and see what happens. We, we really have to be proactive about this to make sure that the patient is getting to the right place the first time. Um, you know, also with the knowledge that we're being flexible, that if their condition changes, we have the availability and the, the resources to get them to the hospital if needed. Now, all of that stuff makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think there's a lot of common elements, regardless of whether you're in a more rural area, like where you are now, or in a large metro area with a lot of resources that are there, just because the resources are theoretically available doesn't necessarily mean that people are getting connected. You know, those barriers to care, those barriers to self-management still exist in almost every environment. Yeah, correct. And, and another thing we're doing that we've seen an increase in during the, the, the pandemic here has been um, a lot of patients that would normally be going into doctor's office for routine follow-up or blood work or stuff we're now doing in the home. So things like home blood draws, uh, even EKGs, um, Tele, televisits with the patient if needed um, and their physician, uh, things like well baby visits. So going out and just doing a quick well baby check on a newborn. Um, we're, we're doing, we're seeing a pretty big increase in that volume as well as, as doctors are trying to keep, you know, at risk patients out of their offices. And I'm assuming in the area where you are now, a lot of those type of services were not available before the, the COVID crisis. So you're, you're filling a gap that exists in that community. Um, yeah, you know, we were doing that before, but not quite to the volume we're doing now. We do have a pretty good network of uh, primary care physicians in, in the Valley here. Um, so patients do have, uh, you know, good access to care in that regard. Um, so a lot of the folks we were seeing before, for this were the patients that truly had barriers or inability to, to get to these appointments or get to these follow-up visits or even see a doctor to begin with. But now we're seeing patients that do have, or, you know, they do have access to care. They have primary care physicians. They're, you know, they're well-versed in their own care, but for extenuating circumstances because of this pandemic, they're just not able to get to um, those visits they would normally be going to. So we're making a we're we're filling a major role right now and filling that gap that's caused by this you know external crisis that we're all in right now. I hear that. I mean, 
I was supposed to give a talk later this summer for the uh, Governor's Preparedness Summit, and the the title was, you know, tomorrow's disaster began yesterday, began yesterday. because we mm-hmm. know who the vulnerable people in the community are who are going to be the first wave of the disaster, regardless of what the disaster is. You know, disasters are about people. You know, it's that old emergency management adage, you know, if a category 27 hurricane hits a deserted stretch of coastline, is it really a disaster or is it just weather? You know, disasters involve people. Mm -hmm. And the folks who are in the community who are vulnerable, who are already experiencing those barriers, who are already struggling with a lot of those um, social determinant issues, they, you know, they lack access to clean, healthy food and good transportation and you know, just safety in the home and all the other stuff that we know matters. Um, the folks that are struggling with that today are the folks who are going to have the least capacity to absorb you know, something significant. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know, COVID's going on and I think we're all going to be at this for, for a while yet. We haven't seen the peak of it and you folks have been at it for a while there. But yeah, we have. I think we're going to, like I said, it's dynamic and um, I think we're going to learn a lot because of this. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of a silver lining kind of guy. I think that for community paramedicine and mobile integrated healthcare, this is, uh, this pandemic is really going to, I think, highlight the, what we bring to the table and the value of these, these types of programs and what they can provide for the community. So I think more on that one later, but. Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. And it's a conversation I've had with our leadership. You know, when we look at the data and I'm pretty lucky in that as a large health system that's owned by, you know, one of, if not the largest insurers in the region, if not the country, we've got access to patient data on the utilization and billing side that just most CP programs wouldn't, but it's, it's given us some pretty good insight into the impact that we make on the patient's overall utilization. And we know that, you know, among other things, you know, the average CP patient, we see them for two or three months, but the year before we worked with them compared to the year after, um, they get almost five more days at home the year after we work with them, you know, not hospitalized than they did before. That's almost a week more not hospitalized. And if you figure, you know, add a few hundred patients into that mix, you know, 200 patients, we're getting four or five days a year less hospitalization. That's 800 to 1,000 hospital bed nights that just got freed up that those are beds, you know, that we may need desperately here in a very near future. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about all these barriers, this population health stuff, you know, these big community level impacts that we're making as well as just touching individual patients, you know, obviously there's some training and education that's involved and you've had the, the benefit of having been through two different again, premier programs, uh, training processes. So what did that look like? What was different between the two? And, you know, if you had the ability to write a curriculum or say, Hey, these are the things we have to hammer on. Like what does education look like for these advanced practice paramedics working in, in mobile integrated health programs as community paramedics? Um, so to break that down, I think, I think finding a baseline education for community paramedics is going to be key to that. Um, with the knowledge that every program is different, um, just by nature of community paramedicine, it's where we're there to serve a specific community. So, 
you know, it's hard to say we're going to have an across the board curriculum that's going to cover everything because that's just not possible. Um, but having some sort of across the board initial education that can be verified through whether it's a, it's a you know, board certification exam or, you know, like the CPC or some, something like that that seems to exist now, um, I think is a good start. You know, when it comes to individual program education, there's obviously going to be gaps to be, that need to be filled off of some sort of baseline education that cover that specific community. So coming from, you know, one program that was in a major metropolitan area um, was much more, I think, socially driven uh, than it was clinically. Um, the training program was a bit different. There was a significant focus on social detriments of health, um, looking at overall home safety, um, you know, general barriers to care that aren't so much medical, but more, like I said, more social. Um, versus now coming out here, where this program is fully integrated with its 911 system, um, as well as the local healthcare system. So while we do have a focus on those social aspects, our our general driving force is much more is providing much more clinical care on the day to day side than it is, uh, you know, that social care. But having that education and background on the social side is, is paramount though, I think, into having a success, successful community paramedic. That is, that is a background in a, in a level of education that I think across the board has to be covered. No, I'd agree with that. You know, the, the ultimate delivery is very much community focused, locally focused, you know, there's specific challenges that your community is experiencing and gaps, you know, again, where we are here, a um, couple of major metro areas, there's really no shortage of clinical services. What there are are numerous extensive barriers to accessing those services. So, you know, we, we focused a lot more on trying to understand why people were not connected to what they needed versus other areas, you know, sounds a lot like where you are now, where many of those actual services may not be available and the community had to come up with a way to address that. And that's, yeah, that's done through us. Um, and, you know, kind of back to some of the education points there, I think the, the clinical side of things and the, the initial, the clinical training to be a proficient community paramedic, I think can be achieved through a, the, the community or through a paramedic education program. It's the, the social side of things and the kind of expanded role concept, the concept of, uh, you know, getting out of the transactional care mindset that a lot of our, our, you know, the 911 colleagues have and into more of a case or care management mindset, um, you know, that would be prudent to put into some sort of community paramedic education program. Um, you know, and then anything that gets expanded upon clinically in the community paramedics role uh, can, you know, be touched upon in a formal education program or through on the job training through the employer. Um, but, you know, I think a, a strong clinical foundation comes from having a strong clinical education program from the beginning. Um, you know, and that's certainly a hot topic for discussion overall in terms of EMS education. So, I mean, it's, are, are we there? There's still more strides that need to be made to get us, to truly have a strong clinical working clinical foundation 
uh, to be a successful community paramedic. No, I would not disagree with you there at all. You know, we saw pretty often that a lot of folks who may be pretty solid paramedics in the emergency response role, you know, coming into the community paramedic realm and realizing that just their background in pharmacology alone was a barrier to doing the best work they could. You know, it was a, uh, (laughs) most paramedic programs teach you to memorize drugs and specific indications, doses, contraindications, et cetera, for a very limited list of emergency conditions. And that did not set you up well to learn how to do a good medication inventory. I'm pretty lucky where I'm at now. I have a pharmacist dedicated to my team. So every single patient gets a 100% medication reconciliation done by the pharmacist who is very pre-hospital focused, but you know, it's the CPs that are in the home that are doing the interviews that are doing the uh, inventories that are having the conversations and that need to flag things and say, Hey, this is something that needs a, uh, an accelerated uh, review this, you know, they're clinically correlating the um, quick pass, you know, software based reviews and saying, Hey, there's a couple things here that need to be addressed. Let's get the PCP involved. Let's get the, uh, the pharmacist review on board. And it, it took some time to get some folks up to speed in pharmacology because it's just not what a lot of them were taught. No, I, and I agree with that. I think pharm- some of those areas would be, you know, pharmacology, um, the, the, the whole, like I said, the whole concept of case and care type management versus just the transactional, hey, we're going to take you to this place and drop you off approach. Um, and just, I think the overall ability to navigate the healthcare system is a 911 provider, we're limited to pretty much the emergency room. Um, you know, if you're doing some transfers, you see some other units of the hospital, but you're not really interacting with primary care physicians. You're not interacting with care coordinators or, uh, you know, physician office-based case managers. Um, so the ability and getting that kind of the education and training to be able to have a meaningful conversation with them, relay what you need, what your patient needs, um, and to have that back and forth, that relationship um, is huge. I think it's a, it's a huge component of what we do. Um, I mean, I can tell you, I spend a good chunk of my day uh, on the phone with care man or with care coordinators um, and discussing patients with them. So being able to be proficient in that um, is, 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 is enormous. And, you know, that's not something that is taught in any sort of traditional paramedic setting. Um, and even from my initial community paramedic training, that was not something that was really taught to us. It was, you know, we were, you know, you and I, Jonah, were kind of like the first few people that uh, had started in that program. So, I mean, we were kind of doing a lot of it on the fly. Um, and that's just not something we really touched on. No, you're right. And so we have the luxury here of not only a large emergency medicine residency, but we also just started our EMS fellowship. And with our first fellow, we had the opportunity to create a formal rotation for the EMS fellow in community paramedicine and MIH. And he spent a month of his, his fellowship year with us full time, which I think was both eye opening for him. He just finished his uh, emergency medicine residency, really smart guy actually was a computer scientist and had a career before going to, to med school. So he came in with, you know, a little bit of a different perspective and very tech forward, which was helpful because, you know, we've made our program entirely remote. My staff works all over the place. And by, you know, having Dr. Shukas with us for that full-time month and he stayed connected throughout the rest of his year, 
um, he got to see how the relationships are so different. These, these are paramedics, but we're professionally interacting with a lot of people that most paramedics in a traditional response role never would. You know, I feel like we got some good training uh, in the flight community around how to consult because we often consulted with, you know, some specialists, especially when we were talking about the more complex patients that weren't really just an emergency. There was something specific going on. I'm thinking those ECMO flights and talking to the, uh, you know, the intensivists and the, um, the perfusionists and the other folks who were involved or, you know, the, the peds and neonate flights when you didn't have a team available. But one of the things that we had the fellow do as kind of the capstone for his rotation with us was do an education session. And he and I were talking all throughout that month about what we should focus on for that. And what came out of our conversations were, let's talk about consults. Let's talk about how to consult. Let's talk about some of the ways that physicians are taught to consult specialists um, and how to format their thoughts. And uh, so that's what he put together as a, as a training session. So we did it the last week of his, his rotation with us. And I think it was very well received by the team because they were doing most of those things, but it was nice to hear it put into some kind of framework. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And, you know, your point about kind of the background, my comfort level really did come from my flight experience. Like you said, dealing with specialists on so many different levels and complex patients and whatnot um you know that really that type of training there is what really kind of helped me i think succeed in where i am now and the ability to speak with kind of a multidisciplinary approach with with a lot of the patients that we see on a regular basis here um sure so if i was going to ask you what's the single most important thing if you were talking to a new program getting started and they're trying to put together their training and they're looking at the different uh organizations they could reach out to for help and, and consulting, if you will, but they're trying to figure out what it is they need to deliver to their newly recruited, you know, CP candidates, if you will. What's the single most important thing that you could tell them to make sure is built into or baked into that program? Um, integration and collaboration with your local healthcare system from, from all levels. Um, everything from your hospital to primary care offices to uh, local behavioral and mental health services. Um, it's, it's getting involved in collaborating with those, with those, with those folks. Um, you know, an operative word of mobile integrated healthcare is integrated, um, you know, such as the name of this podcast as well. So that integration is key. I think if you're trying to go out there and operate this alone, thinking that, your agency is going to be able to just go out and set a goal and do it without working with others. It's, it's not going to go well. No, that's um, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that also, you know, some of that comes back to the education too. We're, we're fortunate where I'm working in our Valley here that uh, we are fully integrated with the local healthcare system on so many different levels. And we have such a great relationship with them. And we get some phenomenal feedback from them. We get some great educational opportunities. Um, you know, and we also get opportunities to continue to grow this program. We identify as needs in the community evolve and change. Um, we are right there with them to, to identify that something has changed and then come up with a plan to, to address that. Now, so, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before this call, but how would you summarize 
mobile integrated health and specifically community paramedics, how would you summarize our value proposition? What do we bring to the healthcare system that is unique that nobody else does? Um, you know, I, we bring the ability to deliver care to folks that otherwise wouldn't have access to it. Um, I think plain and simple is, you know, we have that ability. Um, you know, it obviously goes much further than that, um, you know, as you identify specific needs in your community. Uh, but we are, we are at the forefront of that. Um, you know, and as paramedics, we, we see people in the community. We often know what these barriers are. We often know what the problems are. Um, you know, sometimes we just don't, in a 911 setting, we don't have the tools to fix that. We don't have the tools or the role to be able to fix those issues. Um, and we know that, okay, you know, we're at, yeah, or the time. It's, you know, we're going to take you to the hospital. It's going to create this ever-revolving door um, of, of problems that really never get addressed. So, you know, as a community paramedic and as a mobile integrated health program, you have the ability to intervene and become proactive. I mean, we all know that reactionary healthcare is not ideal for really anybody. It's not ideal for the patient. Um, it's not ideal for systems, whether that be the EMS system, the hospital system, the local healthcare system, um, and it's expensive. Whereas proactive care is much cheaper. It's better for the patient. Um, you know, they, they just generally have better outcomes, less complications, better quality of life. Um, you know, and it, it, it reduces stress on the local healthcare system. And I mean, you know, if you, I think if you want a good case for that right now, looking back at what we talked about with the COVID response is case in point. Um, you know, the ability to get proactive with folks to keep them out of a hospital at a time when you know resources are going to be, uh, you know, when you know resources aren't going to be abundant. Um, you know, I think this is a great case to prove uh, kind of our value and what community paramedicine can really bring to the table and what we can bring uh, to the communities that we serve for their patient or for the patients. You know, one of the things that, you know, Dan Swayze used to say all the time is we own the 911 call. And, you know, by that, I think he meant we know who the people in the community who are reliant on the safety net already are. And by knowing who they are, we're uniquely positioned to connect with them and to help start addressing some of those gaps. 100%. And an, and an interesting point on that too, though, is, yeah, we, we know the 911 caller. We also, when I'm beginning to see more and more through community paramedicine is we also don't know who is out there sometimes. And through community paramedicine, we are also finding these folks that we don't know, you know, that haven't activated 911. Um, for, for one reason or another that sometimes they're shocking. You're like, how have we not come across you yet? But we see those patients as well. Um, you know, and that's, and that's where the collaboration and the, the integration with your local healthcare system is important. I mean, I can think of a few patients that I've seen in my new role already where we've gotten, uh, you know, referrals from you know, some, whether it's their, whether it's a doctor or a clinic or an urgent care that says, Hey, you know, this person came in, but we have some like real concerns about them. Do you mind going out and seeing them? And we get out there and it's like, wow, you know, it's the, the, the situation that they are in is, is truly dire. 
Um, you know, and it was just a matter of time before they became a 911 call, but we're now in a position where we can go see those folks and get involved. Um, but like I said, I mean, that hinges on having that collaboration and that, that integration with your healthcare system. Yeah, for us, absolutely. It's been all those partnerships with, you know, case management, social work, and a lot of community-based organizations that has let us really get to know who these people are. And, you know, we have the luxury of time. We also have the luxury of mobility. We can get out there. We can get in the community. We can meet people under a bridge or in a McDonald's. Well, these days that's a little harder with COVID, but, you know, we're out, we're out there really trying to do it and trying to make those connections. And we have the luxury of time and our unique expertise working in that public safety role uh, in addition to our healthcare experience and education. Absolutely. All right. So tell me a good CP story. And you and I, uh, we brought up a couple of good ones, but <laughs> yeah, there's some things that you, everybody always wants to ask the medic, you know, what's the goriest thing you've ever seen? What's the scariest thing you've ever seen? What's the whatever, you know, the classic yeah. public safety Q&A and you just roll your eyes and go back to what you were doing. But nobody's gotten into hearing the community paramedic stories or really sharing them yet. And you know, I can say that some of these have been pretty epic and things that I never thought I would see as a flight medic or as a, as a street medic or working overseas like I did for a lot of years. So tell me a good one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if Dan listens to this, he probably already knows where I'm going. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, there, the one that sticks out is it, truly there's nothing to like prepare you in any sort of education or training for how to bury somebody's dead rabbit. Um, you know, I, I remember this couple that we went to go see, uh, elderly couple had uh, some very serious, uh, pretty significant issues um, in terms of social detriments to care, um, underlying medical issues, uh, frequent utilizers of EMS in the local hospital. Um, but it really comes down to, you know, I, I learned a lot through this about kind of patient priorities. You know, we go into this house where there are just so many things wrong and, you know, through your, in your mind, you're making up a list of, okay, here's what, here's what we need to work on with these folks, like getting them access to primary care, getting them to, you know, uh, you know, breaking down some of these other social detriments, you know, things like utilities that were shut off, uh, food supply issues, you know? So, you know, in my mind, I'm coming up with this list of stuff, but they were just not open to it because, they had a dead rabbit in their house. It was their pet rabbit that they was very beloved to them and it had died a few days prior. Um, but they didn't want to listen to anything that I had to say. And as soon as I was there, they were just like, Oh, maybe you can help us like bury this rabbit because we don't want to bury it because we're so attached to it. And, uh, you know, sure enough, I found myself in the backyard, um, burying their rabbit for them. But once we had the rabbit buried and a small flower put in place, um, you know, they said a quick prayer for their beloved rabbit and we were able to get started on some of their uh, more, in my opinion, more pressing issues. But again, like I said, I learned quite a bit from that because, you know, my opinion about the pressing matters versus theirs was significantly different. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I learned just so much from that one interaction about just kind of human behavior. Um, in, in, in people's priorities, what we may see as a medical priority or a social priority or whatever that may be, they may not see it the same way. Um, and that is so much of our job is learning to effectively interact and communicate with people and understanding that, um, you know, I mean, we've, we've all 
realize that there are a lot of people who will make sure their pets eat before they do to their own oh, detriment. Absolutely. 100%. So, you know, it's, yeah. And then and when it comes down to figuring out someone's healthcare, um, you know, we, we can bring all of the resources to somebody, but if there is something that they are hung up on that we're not seeing, or we, or we refuse to see as a priority, but they see as one, that relationship with the patient is going to go nowhere. Um, and that is, I think also one of the biggest differences between a 911 approach and community paramedic is, you know, when someone calls 911, the general expectation is you're going to provide some sort of treatment to them, take them to the hospital. Um, and they understand that there, there is a, there is a understanding of what services are going to be done. If someone's in pain, there's an expectation there's going to, they are going to get pain meds. Um, and that's usually what happens in most 911 systems. Um, as a community paramedic, when we go into somebody's house or to meet with somebody, um, they're really, and that's kind of one of the nice things about this job, is there really is no known expectation. It's, we're going in with a clean slate to say, like, what can we do for you? What is going on? And you just get their story. Start from the beginning. Tell me what, tell me what we can do. Tell me what's tell me going your on. Story. Tell me how you got here. Yeah, tell me your story. I've started almost every patient interview for those initials with exactly yeah. that. Tell me your story. Exactly. Tell me your story. Yep. And, and you will learn so much from somebody, um, you know, in kind of going back to some of the education points we talked about is finding a way to train our community paramedic providers with that knowledge. But that also comes in finding the right person. Um, you know, if you have somebody that's not going to be open to that type of patient interaction, they're just not going to thrive in this environment. No, absolutely. All right, man. Well, anything else to wrap up with? Because taking up a bunch of your time, but this has been good. Yeah, I appreciate it. I don't have anything yet. I mean, stay safe out there and I'm sure we'll have some great stuff coming out of this at the, with all the, the pandemic going on right now. Hopefully we'll have some good stuff coming out of this for everybody to learn from and use and we'll see where this goes yep maybe some pictures of community paramedics wearing uh, some good rain gear yeah i was selling my fish sticks <laughs> good stuff all right thanks dave for hopping on with me today and yeah no problem talk to you later. talk to you soon yep.